It's so good to be here and to see you, see you in your cars today. But as we gather together today, there's something we need to understand. Life has a way of putting us on notice. Life has a way, if you will, of forcing an honest question and even putting Easter on notice. Let me explain what I mean. Easter is nice. It's nice. You dress nice. You get some nice chocolate. That's awesome. We eat nice food. We gather with family. Easter is nice. Easter has been strange the last two Easter. A lot of those things we normally have and enjoy have not been part of what we normally would do. So we know that finding our way in this world called life, life kind of puts Easter on notice for us. Life has a way of forcing us, if you will, to ask a question. Life has a way of forcing us to recognize that Easter is just not some nice commemoration. That Easter can't just be some religious adornment to our lives. That Easter itself is not just about having some kind of church heritage. That, that, that that's too small because Easter's too large. So much larger than all of that. So let's think about the question that we are being asked by life. And the question is this. Do I really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do I really believe? Let's, let's pull the theological clutter away. Let's pull the church experience away. Let's pull the religiosity away. Because life has a way of smacking us in the face. Death runs into us like a runaway freight train, and we're confronted with the question, do I really believe in the resurrection of Jesus? That first Easter Sunday was a mess. It was a mess. I bet you that's the last thing you might have expected to hear from me on Easter Sunday morning, but it was a mess. If you read the four gospel accounts, you find out that the writers are all over the place. The roles that the characters play seem different. How many angels were there? Where were the woman? When did they meet him? What kind of man did he look like when they saw him as a gardener? What was the timing of everything? How many angels were there? It seems like such a mess. It all doesn't match up. But, but you see, if, if I was trying to write some narrative, that would be this nice document that I could hold up and say, these are the facts and this is why that happened. It, it would all have the exact same word. Every gospel would say the exact same thing. Every word would be duplicated. It'd be nice. It would be neat. It would be orderly. And it'd be exceptionally boring. But you see, that's not what we have. That's part of the beauty of it and even the evidence of why we're here joining millions from across our globe and two-thirds of Americans who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not a tightly controlled 
narrative or documentation of something that happened. This is the attempt of some bewildered people, some bewildered disciples trying to get their heads and their hearts around something unimaginable that became imaginable and something impossible that became possible and something that actually happened. But there is one fact that every gospel writer lands on in some form or fashion. And that fact is this. He is risen and the tomb is empty. Amen. He's risen, and the tomb is empty. So we turn today to the shortest of those accounts in the Gospel of Mark, not because we need some claims of Easter Sunday, some truth claims that are going to give us clarification and verification, not because we're trying to get the facts straight, not because we want to make sure our religious commemoration leads to some nice, neat, and tidy conclusion. We turn there because Easter Sunday is an invitation to hope. It's an invitation to hope. So in Mark's Gospel, if you want to turn on your device or if you happen to bring your hard copy of the Bible, we're going to look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What if what if the women were not witnesses to the empty tomb? What if they actually did not meet Jesus on the road? What if the disciples did not find the tomb empty? And, and what if the disciples did not have encounters with him in a room, on a shoreline, and on a hill? And what if there weren't actually 500 eyewitnesses that were recorded by the Apostle Paul in authenticated documents. And what if the secular and Jewish historians of that day, of that era, what if those who say that Jesus and the empty tomb are historical realities, what if they didn't report that? And what if, and what if this? What if they actually found the bones of Jesus as was tradition in the Jewish burial rites? What if they actually found the bones. And what if the growth of an entire new religion that caused people to totally shift their worldview and as a result find ways 
to challenge the status quo where the poor were elevated, where women were valued, where people of every tribe and language and race were joined to, as one, what if that did not develop? And what if the 5,000-plus New Testament manuscripts, exponentially more evidence than the evidence of Socrates and Plato, what if they were never written? And what if the lives of untold billions of people that have been radically transformed by belief in the resurrection of Jesus, what if that was all a mistake? What if that was all a myth? Well, the truth is this. Take away the resurrection, and you have nothing. Take away the resurrection of Jesus, and we have nothing. You can be as religious as you want. You can be as moral as you want. You can read the Bible all you want. You can think that the cross of Jesus, historically recorded, was just a nice romantic gesture. But without the resurrection, it's all meaningless and it's all powerless. Even the Bible says that. Paul writes to the Corinthians, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is a waste of time. And you know what? Living according to that is a waste of time too, if Christ has not been raised. But, everything I mentioned before, happened. Those people, they did exist. All of those events, they have been verified. And here's the thing, Jesus did not stay dead. And where are the bones? They haven't found the bones. They've never found the bones. And so today, because that's all true, we declare he is risen with confidence and with joy, and with a step in the soul as we live. You see, it's not based, none of this is based on getting your religious service just right. It's not based on the circumstances working out so everything feels good. It's not based on whether or not you meet in a church building during a pandemic or not. It's not based on any of that. It's not based on your life working out according to the plan that you think it should. It's something so much larger than that. It is not dependent on whether the world acknowledges this reality or whether you acknowledge this reality, or I do. The claims of the Christian truth are true whether Jeff DeFranson believes them or not. The truth claims of the resurrection of Christ are true, whether I or you believe them or not, because it's simply based in this event that so bewildered these people. He is risen. He is risen. He is not here. So we stand on and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus as a present tense reality. Jesus is alive. But now, now, my belief in the resurrection does not determine its reality. But its reality 
can determine the course of my life. This is how Tish Warren puts it. This is how Tish Warren puts it. If Jesus did in fact come back from the dead on a quiet Sunday morning some 2,000 years ago, then everything has changed. Our beliefs, our ethics, our politics, our time, our relationships. If Jesus Christ came back some 2,000 years ago on a beautiful Sunday morning, everything changes. The resurrection is ultimately truer and more lasting than death and devastation and violence and viruses. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. Well, I've asked someone to come and share with us the impact this reality has made on our lives. So, Becca, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come and join us. Becca Skane has grown up in our church. Right now, she is a grad student in the social work program at UNH, wanting to use that for the purposes and the glory of God. But God has been doing some deep work in her life. God's been doing some hard work in her life. God's been doing some new creation work in her life. So she's going to share with us the impact of living for Christ, this living Christ has had on her life and the hope she has in the future because of that. So let's just welcome Becca. Can everybody hear me okay? A little louder? Just go ahead. Psalm 116.7 says, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. When I looked up the definition of hope, it said it's defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, or trust. If I could sum up my emotions of the last several months into one word, it would be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the ever-changing chaos of our world, but over, more so overwhelmed by the goodness of, and provision of God. He has been working and moving in my life in so many ways that when I sat down to write this, I didn't even know where to begin. About a month ago, I moved into my first apartment on my own. This was a major transition for me, but God reminded me time and time again that He is the God of the details, that His timing is perfect. Four days after discussing and praying for a suitable housing opportunity, I had a place locked down, and within two weeks, I was moved in. I had an incredible team of prayer warriors supporting me in prayer during this time, and I have no doubt that God heard our prayers. I was stretched financially as I transitioned to work full, to working full-time while I complete my bachelor's degree, and God once again reminded me that He knows every need. Rent is normally almost $500 more a month at this renter. But after looking over my budget, I prayed for God to open a door to where I was meant to live next. He said in a conversation with a friend that if rent were lowered $400 than the typical, I could swing it. And I never needed to say a word. In my conversation with the landlord, she offered to lower the price $50 below what I had prayed about. Thanks to the generous support, I do not need to worry about rent until after I graduate in May. I have incredible friends who showed up to help me move and truly embody what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ. God encouraged me through the supportive relationships in my life and by opening up a living situation that met needs I didn't realize I had. Now, I'm a planner, a color-coded calendar and everything kind of person. So, finding out my master's program in the fall had been canceled really threw a wrench in my well-laid three-year plan. 
I was redirected to UNH Manchester's campus from the Durham location after my freshman year of college three years ago. And now I have the opposite decision to make, attending the Durham campus from my master's program as Manchester was no longer an option. Thoughts about God's will, finances, and other logistics swirl through my mind. Then a wise man reminded me that we are free to serve the purposes of God wherever we find ourselves. I remembered what God had done in opening the perfect housing arrangement, meeting my physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. So why would I doubt that he is capable of doing that in this situation as well? Right, hope equals trust. So I remembered that lost college freshman I once stood, who is now a senior, future social worker, and committed Christ follower. And I was amazed as God has opened the door for me to remain a part of the campus ministry that changed my life, becoming a staff member. I am filled with hope and joy as I think about the future God is orchestrating, because I can see his faithfulness to his promises both in my past and in this very moment. I was in a campus ministry meeting this past week, talking about how and why we pray. And a student asked a question that I believe crosses each of our minds in some way, at some point during our faith walk. Is it easier for those who walk with Christ on earth? Or does the benefit only come with eternal life in heaven? Why is life hard for those who love God? Back in February, I was told that my PTSD symptoms had gone into complete remission, something I never dreamed would be possible. But God. Now, I don't know if we'll ever fully understand some of the challenges we walk through on the side of heaven. But I can tell you that I have reaped more than I deserve by walking alongside Jesus. I have been given hope not because every situation in my life is good, but because I'm reminded daily by the evidence of graces big and small that he is good, that he is working all things for my good and for your good. Sunday, the home of sacred invitation. This passage that we read begins with the impossible three women heading to this tomb, knowing, oh no, there's a big stone that's covering this tomb. How, how are we going to remove it? it? It begins with the impossible, and then it ends with the women fleeing the scene, having seen the incredible, trembling just like we would. In the words of the angel to the women, upon the astonishing discovery that the impossible was now possible and the unbelievable was now believable, there sits an invitation to you and to me and to our world. Verse 7 says, the angel said he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Hear it again. He is going ahead of you. That's what propelled these women into the future, into an unknown future. That's what enabled disciples to move through their painful future. It is what caused the church to move forward to the future. 
Someone said it like this. I don't remember who it was and how they quite said it, but they said it something like this. The church did not invent the story of the resurrection. resurrection invented the reality of the church. The reality of that resurrection is so powerful and so alive with the life of God, the future was fastened to hope. It was fastened to hope because of the present reality of the living Christ. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Those were words for these women who came to the tomb filled with Saturday's grief. They never imagined a hopeful future because they could not conceive of a transforming present. What about you? Can you conceive of a transforming present? Or are you stuck still on Saturday? You haven't found your way to an empty tomb yet. So that's where they were. But these words, these words brought them life. These words hold them to a different tomorrow. What's the different tomorrow you need to be pulled to? He's going ahead of you. Those were words for a guy named Peter. And when you think about the Apostle Peter and you think about his life, he was the one who gave in to the sin of certainty. Let me say that again. He gave in to the sin of certainty, lacking faith. He, he was the one who stood and denied Jesus with three bold lies. He was the one who said, you know what, I'm just going to go back to this fishing gig that I had and walk away from this disciple thing. That was him. What's the message? The message is that a broken past and the greatest of failures and the most damaging of sins no longer have to define us. But rather... We can have a new creation chapter in our lives when we place our faith in Christ. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Those were the words for the disciples of all ages, of all ages, for the long nights of Good Fridays. The long nights of the Good Fridays of life that lead to the Sundays of a future and a hope. And he writes said it this way, a new power is let loose in the world, the power to remake what was broken, to heal what was diseased, to restore what was lost. I could line up many of you sitting in these cars. I could line you up and you could tell us the story of how God has remade your life, how God has restored things in your life, how God has changed the narrative of the history of your life. Because he unleashed the power in the resurrection. He is going ahead of you. The truth is, those words are your words. They're for you. They're for me. They're for us. They're our words. Words of the same hope. These people here are just the words. It's a hope that needs to be declared in this pandemic-marred, politics-stained, harshly divided, financially uncertain, fear-driven, violence-saturated world we live in. We need to declare this hope. It was the hope then, and it is the hope now. Warren goes on, it's that hope because yeah, the truest had, fact of the universe... We had enough people to like, make sure none of this equipment gets bombed. Like, that's my... The resurrection is the only evidence 
evidence. Yeah, all of that. All would have the evidence be. that love triumphs over death and weakness prevails over strength and beauty outlives ashes. If Jesus is risen in actual history, there is hope that our mourning will be comforted and that death, hear it, death will not have the final okay. word. Jesus did not stay dead. We can live in the reality that he is still with us. He is still redeeming the world. He is still doing new creation. He wants to do that new creation through you and you and you and you and you and me. He is still with us. I love what it says in Romans 4 when it describes God this way. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. God gives light to the dead and calls things into existence that don't exist. Right. Let me ask you today, what is the Galilee where Jesus wants to meet you? He's saying, listen, there's the message he's waiting for you. What is your Galilee? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can move forward with confidence that he will meet us there in whatever we face there. In fact, in fact, he's already there. He's gone ahead of us. He's already there, waiting to walk with us wherever we find ourselves. Now, some of you are scholars in a specific area of information and entertainment. Some of you would proudly wear a tattoo or a shirt or a sweatshirt that declares that you are a Trekkie, right? Are there any Trekkies here? Any Trekkies? Okay, I see some. I see those hands. God help you. I see, I see those hands. The famous words that I remember as a kid watching Star Trek. Every episode, we heard these words at the beginning. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Say that with me. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Right? But the words of Easter, the reality of Easter, transforms those words. And it's the invitation we hear from the one who's risen. Those words are transformed now to boldly go where one has gone before us. Where one, the resurrected Christ, has gone before us. Life is in the world, wherever we go. We stand with the women in that empty tomb, looking back through the entrance of that tomb. Maybe the sun rays are blazing through. We look back. And we know we're being pulled forward where he, where Jesus Christ is making all things new. We're being pulled. Pulling us forward in hope in him and with the assurance that he will meet us there. But it is the same hope and power that carries us today because he is here now. We move forward with hope tomorrow 
because he lives today. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living now because he lives. See, he lives now. So we can move forward in hope. Let me wrap this up with these thoughts. The theologian Peter Kuznick is believed to have said this. Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is having the courage to dance to it today. I'll say it again. Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is having the courage to dance to it today. My friends, it's time for us to put our soul's dancing shoes on. That's what the resurrection does for us right now. The resurrection is the song we are to dance to in life as we tune into the truth that he is with us now and forever. And so here is the sacred invitation. This is our sacred invitation. It's an invitation to hope. He has gone before you. The tomb is empty. Death cannot destroy us. Pain and grief and suffering and hardship and violence and war and death do not have the final word because the tomb is empty. So here's the invitation. It's time to dance. It's time to dance to the music of an empty tomb. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen.